Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the Geoholics podcast. Each week at the beginning of this podcast, this segment explores contemporary geospatial news, innovative technologies, geographic-related controversies and hardships, funny stories, history, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolofsky. I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial Sherpa. On December 25th, 2021, one of the most sophisticated machines ever made by humankind was launched into space on the back of an Ariane 5 rocket from French Guiana. Meet the James Webb Space Telescope, aka JWST. This innovative mapping technology was developed jointly by the U.S., Canadian, and European space agencies. JWST seeks to replace the massively important Hubble telescope. Leveraging infrared technologies, this telescope sees roughly a hundred times further intergalactically with more sensitivity. The primary sensor on the telescope consists of 18 hexagonal segments combined together to create a 21-foot diameter mirror, roughly 5.6 times larger than the Hubble. JWST is positioned beyond the moon for noise reduction and to keep the system operating at a cool negative 370 degrees Fahrenheit. The primary mission of the telescope is to investigate and map some of the oldest and most distant objects in the universe, with an inevitable goal of characterizing potentially habitable exoplanets. I don't know about you, but if you've ever peered through a telescope as a kid and marveled at the night sky, this is a pretty cool accomplishment. I cannot wait to see the mapping data it produces. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. Hello, Geoholics! Let's rock! Happy New Year and welcome to the beginning of Geoholics Podcast version 3.0. What? It's our third year, version 3.0. 3.0? Yes. Okay, All I right. like it. Big change is coming for uh, 2022 that we will be announcing in the very near future and we're really excited about. I'm not allowed to say. Okay, this is, <laughs> this is episode 112. Shoots, I know you've been scrambling here. Did you come up with a safety apparel safety chair? I did. <laughs> uh, here are 10 quick and easy safe manufacturing workplace tips, okay? Sure. Inform supervisors of unsafe conditions. Mm. It's basic. I, yep. Easy, right? One would think. Use equipment, machines, and tools properly. Again, very basic and easy. Sounds like common sense so far. Yeah. Wear safety equipment. PPE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, prevent slips and trips. Easy enough, right? Don't fall down the stairs, right? These are all very basic. It's it's very easy. It's a new year. Yeah. Start them up. Start, <laughs> start, start to live yours off. Easy. Yes. <laughs> Keep work areas and emergency exits clear. Uh, eliminate fire hazards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Avoid tracking hazardous materials. Like into the workplace, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Yep. Prevent objects from falling. 
Where did you come sense. up with this? Common sense. It's like safety for dummies? It's from Vector Solutions. <laughs> Use correct posture when lifting. You got that one down? Lift with your legs. Yes. Take work breaks from time to time. And that yes. is all. Those were. That's a good way to start the year, though, Shoes. I it's very basic, yep. and I... I, I don't want to overwhelm anybody. All good reminders. And since the topic of our conversation this evening is going to revolve around safety, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Well done. There we go. You do so much better under pressure. Ah, it's the last second. <laughs> <laughs> Figuring it out. All right. <laughs> Excuse me real quick. I do want to take a second to thank all of our past and current friends of the program and our listeners for making 2021 an enormous year of growth and outreach for the show. Um, as you've heard, we've got an incredible lineup of Friends of the program for 2022. We cannot wait to collaborate with each one of them moving forward. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be fantastic. Super excited about it. And if you did not get in on the Friends of the Program opportunity and you still want to support the show, just go to Patreon, look for uh, the Geoholics, and you can become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. And by doing that, you will get an entire Geoholics fan pack, which uh, includes lots of stuff. Take my word for it. <laughs> if anybody, like, really wants to, mm-hmm. they can just send a check to Big Shoots. <laughs> the Big Shoots Fund. <laughs> yes. We're going to have to start one of those. <laughs> Details to follow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, PJ, tell us about that opening number. Sure, yeah. That was uh, Cowboys from Hell by Pantera, uh, an American heavy metal band group from Arlington, Texas, formed in 1981. The group's best-known lineup consisted of the Abbott Brothers, drummer Vinnie Paul, and guitarist Dimebag Daryl, along with vocalist Phil Anselmo and bassist Rex Brown. In addition to their development and popularization of the groove metal subgenre, Pantera is credited for being part of the second wave of thrash metal scene from the late 1980s to early to mid-1990s. Pantera is regarded as one of the most successful and influential bands in heavy metal history, having sold around 20 million records worldwide and having received four Grammy nominations. Great job, PJ. That was good. That was pretty flawless, actually. Yeah, 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 really good. And uh, I don't have a Pantera story, except for the fact that we're in episode (laughs) 112, and this is our first Pantera song, so I was really excited when our guests this evening said they were a Pantera fan. Um, Been waiting to use Cowboys from Hell. Yes. Great song. Great I song. I always think of uh, local radio here. Mm. Yeah. With the Pantera call out. Pantera call out. Yes. Exactly. Ron Wolfley. Yes. Yes. Are yep. you talking to me? <laughs> 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 All right. Here we are in the Diamondback Land Surveying Studio. Thanks to our good friend Trent Keenan for his continued belief in us. Um, we may need to do some redecorating for 2022 to spruce this place up a bit. You guys got any ideas? Mm, we can cut this out. No, it's oh. fine. Just the way it is. It's fine. Just the way it is. We might stay tuned for uh, decorating updates. <laughs> Let's shout out to this week's highlighted friend of the program. Who do we got, Shoots? Advanced Geodetic Surveys. Welcome back, boys. Yeah, absolutely. It's a new year and a new company. Um, not a new company. They're oh. just... They're, they're the same Continued old supporters. fantastic company. Yes. Advanced Geodetic Surveys is a Texas-based corporation specializing in mapping and land surveying equipment. Since 1991, AGS has consistently provided expertise in the surveying and mapping industry. They offer a comprehensive list of competitive surveying and mapping products and services. The staff at AGS has a combined experience of over... 
135 years. With that in mind, you can be sure that they are able to solve any problems and obstacles that you may encounter in the field. The number one priority is customer satisfaction. They look at they look after their clients and strive to provide a hassle-free experience for all your GPS mapping or surveying needs. They guarantee reliable equipment and offer short and long-term rental options to fit your needs. Go to agsgps.com slash shop. And if you use the promo code GEO15, you'll save 15% off all regular priced field supplies, accessories, and safety equipment. At AGS, it's the service after the sale that counts. Yes, yes. And I'm super excited with the lineup of friends of the program that we have for 2022. There are going to be some amazing promotional opportunities and discount opportunities for Geoholics listeners. So stay tuned each and every week Mm -hmm. to find out more about those. With that, let's catch up with the boys real quick. PJ, what's up, man? Uh, Yeah, Happy New Year, guys. I was out in um, California, Los Angeles this past weekend visiting a buddy to ring in the new year. I started my New Year's Day, January 1. We went out, got a boat, went out on the Pacific Ocean. I mean, for me, there's no better way to uh, <laughs> to ring in the new New Year. So it was nice out there. Um, shoots, you said you were out there too. So yep. you were got some rain. It was pouring and it was nice. Oh, wow. Once the new year started, the sun came out and we were able to get out in the ocean and enjoy nice. some sunshine. So nice. Yeah, the first of the year, it was just sunshine. That's Isn't that weird how that happens? It was gloomy, gloomy, gloomy rain and then new year. Hey, sunshine out with the old and with the new. Yeah, new year, new California. Easy as that. What was the? <laughs> you were on a sailboat though, right? No, it was like a power boat. Yeah, we had okay. too many people to get out on the sailboat, so yeah, we yeah. just like ripped this like twenty-six foot power. It was actually sweet because you go out there and it was yeah. super calm, um, and you just fly forty miles an hour. And That's awesome. It's open ocean, right? So you just like t- kind of just like turned out west and took off. So are you going to hang up the sails for a, a motor now? No, because no. Well, even like you're on that thing for 30 minutes and you can only go fast for so long. No one can talk to each other. And True. once you come down from the adrenaline rush of like, well, we're going so fast. It's like, yeah. you can't just fly around for too long, but yeah. Yeah. So that's you were awesome, out there man. with how many buddies? Uh, there was seven of us. Okay. So yeah, we could only put six on the boat. So they made us uh, charter a, a larger boat instead. Cool, man. Good for you. Makes sense. Yeah. Ryan, how about you? I heard you said you were in California. Uh, I went on vacation, boys. It vacation was shoots. Fantastic. I went to Legoland. That place sucks. That's <laughs> 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 just flat out hey, admitting it. Nobody it told you you had to go there. Sucks. No, it was <laughs> awful. I did not like Legoland whatsoever uh that place is run horribly uh the rides the lines it was ridiculous i would not recommend legoland so so needless to say legoland is not going to be a sponsor of the show anytime no soon. no 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 <laughs> they can suck it <laughs> universal studios on the other hand fantastic they actually run it properly the mm. rides were run well uh, Hogwarts was amazing. There's a lot more to see yeah. at Universal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I had my Hogwarts alumni sweatshirt, my Gryffindor Probably getting a scarf. lot of compliments on those. Oh, yeah, Head absolutely. nods, out of boys. Yeah, no. Didn't Carrie and Hudson had their Hufflepuff. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Gross. What a terrible school that is. Gryffindor's where it's at. But okay. no, it was a great time. I enjoyed nice. the vacation. Um, like Jake said, it rained 
the entire time. Oh, hey, the weather so, sucked here too. So, like the first day we were at Universal Studios, it rained all day. Mm. Fantastic. There was nobody there. Nice. Every ride, five minutes on and off. It Perfect. was fantastic. Uh, New Year's Eve, a different story. Mm. It was not so good. Why? Because it was packed. Oh, it was packed. With the weather, oh. the weather was better or no? Yeah. It was, was it was still a little rainy, mm. but it was just ridiculous with the people. And, uh, yeah. You know, I literally spent my New Year's sleeping. Did you? At 10 o'clock, I was, I was done. Sounds a lot like my... How about you? What yeah, you pretty do? much. I mean, I'm honestly, this is like day two of trying to shake off the holiday, uh, the holiday fog, mm-hmm. the holiday brain fog, you know, kind of like the COVID brain fog, but I have the holiday brain fog. Didn't do much. You know, stayed around here. It was uh, very relaxing. Watched more football than I probably ever have in my entire life. Was incredibly lazy. Pretty much shut down for about five days. And uh, now I'm paying for it. Yeah, eh, just trying to get sense. back in the swing of things. You know how that goes. But, hey, no complaints. Wouldn't change anything. Great holiday, all in all. So, uh, Did the Bears so yeah. beat the Giants? Or um, what are we yes. doing here? Yes, I did. I think Where am I buying you lunch? That was Portillo's versus Ted's. Yes. And we're going to Portillo's. Either way, I win. Yeah, exactly. I was doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait till the Portillo's uh, opens in Gilbert. Yeah, exactly. That's what we'll do for sure. Plus, I still owe you pizza, so... Um, well, Casanova Brothers closed. I know, but we're going to go to Lou's. Uh, Lou That's right. You guys got one of those, right? It, it is in Gilbert. Out there, yep. New Mexico. Out out in my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of this. Trimble Geospatial Weekly Words of Wisdom. Uh, somebody in this room may, uh, may know this quote very well. So here's the quote. Uh, it goes like this, since safety is our focus this evening. Safety doesn't exist all by itself, like a thing in a vacuum. You can't replenish your safety levels like engine oil, nor can you go to the store and buy another box of safety. Safety is the byproduct of ideological buy-in and the resulting behavior and can therefore not materialize on its own. Those are very powerful words penned by who? Charles Dickens. I don't know, but he sounds smart, whoever he is. (laughs) That would be our guest this evening. I'm going to say Brian Owens. (laughs) Throwing it out there. That would be our guest this evening, Mr. Brian Owens. Let me tell you a little bit more about Brian so we can jump into this here. Uh, Some bio information here. Uh, Brian was born in El Paso, Texas, raised in Silver City, New Mexico. He attended Western New Mexico University, Nashville State Tech, Central Texas College, and finished at Columbia Southern University where he... Achieved a bachelor's in occupational safety and health. My heavens. If either one of you two can tell me the mascot for Columbia Southern University, there's a $20 bill in it for you. What do you, what do you got? It's the Seahawks. No. <laughs> it is the Timberwolves. No, it's Sir Maximus, the CSU Knight. Oh, wow. Did you, yeah. did you know that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I didn't of know his name, did. but the, the night. Yeah. Sir Maximus. <laughs> so Brian's Brian's hobbies uh, include being a songwriter and an author, which we're going to talk about here a little bit more in a second. Current job description is he is the VP of Safety and Team Development for the Busing Corporation, where he oversees all the safety programs, sits as the chair of the Continual Improvement Committee, and assists with complex HR compliance personnel-related matters. 
Got a man, lot on oh his man, plate. I half-assed the safety share for, <laughs> for an important guest. He's had many high-profile speaking engagements, including being a keynote speaker for the International Performance Management Institute. His book, this one right here, Ooh. Inversion and the Perspective-Based Safety Culture, available on Amazon, by the way, was featured in the July 2019 edition of Phoenix Magazine as a read it, exclamation point. Mm. His concepts are still used as the risk control strategy at one of the largest insurance brokerages in the world. A lot to be proud of there. He's passionate about honor, people, family, music, and words. And I cannot fail to mention that he spent five years in the Army, active duty, was uh, actually in Baghdad, 2004, 2005. So Brian, thank you for your service, most importantly, and welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here. Thanks, boys. Glad to be here. Yes, we are going to have some fun for sure. But before we do, we do have an icebreaker for you. Let's do it. Are you ready? Uh, If you could choose any two famous people to have dinner with, who would they be? Two people for dinner. Let's do Chris Christopherson and uh, <laughs> let's do uh, Phil Anselmo from Pantera. There you go. Yeah. Way to bring the music it, bring it full that. circle. Yeah. I like it. PJ, I don't think we've asked this one before. Who do you got? Yeah, I'm trying to think here. Elon Musk for sure. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> and maybe like... Like a Buzz Aldrin or something. Oh, very, uh, yeah. very space heavy. Sure, of course. It's gotta Shoots, be. you got something for this? Pamela Anderson and <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so why? why, why Pam, I mean, I think I've got two good reasons. <laughs> have to do look I've got at. two good reasons that you want Pamela Anderson. What? Are, what is? What's the other one? And Abraham Lincoln. Well, of course. Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, uh, I want well, good conversation from Abe. Yep. And then I want to look at Pam. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I can't argue with those choices. For me, what about, what about you? You stole one of mine. Obviously, Abraham Lincoln, huge fan. And uh, Tom Brady, probably. <laughs> yep. Goat. A lot of leadership stuff going on there, for sure. Oh, man. So, anyways, Brian, before we get into kind of the meat of the matter, I do want to give you a chance to talk about, uh, you know, your, the company you work for and the job that, sure. that you currently hold. So, tell us a little bit about Busey. Uh Well, they're a heavy civil contractor, uh, one of the bigger ones here in the Valley, here in Phoenix, um, pretty much everything but the structure and everything that's dirt. Uh, we do a lot of that. Uh, we've got a concrete division that also does uh, industrial and residential concrete. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we do a lot of work with all the major GCs in the area and uh, our names on a lot of the, the more proud, uh, you know, accomplishments here in the Valley. So, yeah, for sure. So obviously working for a company like that, um, your employees, a lot of them, probably the majority of them are working every day in harm's way. Yeah. And uh, you've got a you've got a lot on your plate as yeah. far as the safety side of things goes, which makes you a perfect <laughs> person to have this conversation with this evening. Well, thanks. No, I uh, uh, that, that that's a fair statement. There's a lot going on all the time. How did you how do, how did you become, you know, so passionate about safety? Does it go back to like your military time in the military? Did that have something to do with it or how did that Yeah, that I, start? I guess you could say it started there. Um, I always had a passion for people, for my team, uh, making sure everybody got home safely. So yeah, you could say a lot of those seeds were planted early on. Mm. Um, but I think the turning point for me was after I got out of the military and got into the mining industry, uh, obviously those of us that worked in the mines know you have to go through MSHA training. Yep. And, uh, during my MSHA training, uh, the president of operations had come in and shared the story of how he had to deliver, uh, the message to a family of uh, an employee that had been killed just two days before. And this was about two weeks before Christmas. Mm. And uh, it hit me really hard 
that a stranger could still show up at my door. As silly as it sounds saying it out loud, it never occurred to me yeah. that I could still get hurt or even killed at work just doing a regular job. Sure. I thought all that was in my rearview mirror. Uh, you know, now that I was home, nobody was shooting at me anymore. I, I, I thought I was, you know, uh, on a, uh, you know, a plane where I, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. Yep. But after hearing that and watching this man uh, break down openly and sob in front of all of us, mm-hmm. um, that hit me so hard that it actually launched my career into safety. Mm. So that, that was the turning point for me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, wow. it's funny, how, not funny, but I guess interesting how, you know, a, a time in your life such as that can make such an impression yeah. that it changed the course, basically, right? Yep. Yeah, and that's a, a story that I'm never uh, shy to share. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, weekly in our new higher orientation, yeah. I tell that same story. Yep. Yeah, so it, it is just as big an impact now as it was then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so workers in the engineering and construction industry face many hazards, you know, probably more than most. Um, you know, as construction sites are one of the most dangerous places to work in the world, uh, according to OSHA rules of construction, um, and I quote, in no case shall the prime contractor be relieved of overall responsibility for compliance within the requirements of all work being performed performed under the contract. So what that says is safety is basically everybody's responsibility. And if you're the general contractor, it doesn't mean that you uh, get to like relieve yourself of the duties and it's all on the subcontractors, right? Right. This is something that starts at the top and just, you know, goes all the way to the bottom. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I, I always, when I get to talk to somebody who is, you know, a safety professional, I love this question, you know, in in your opinion, what percent of accidents are avoidable? (laughs) Well, the answer to that question is it's not objective. Um, th- there's no way to give you that answer the way you asked it. Um, but I will share a story that I think will give you what you're looking for. I went to a conference once, a leadership development conference, and upon entry into the auditorium, we had to answer that question. Uh, you know, how, how likely is zero incidents in the workplace? Um, after the first break, they asked the same question again with a twist. How likely is zero incidents if we're just talking about you and your crew? Mm-hmm. And then after the, the second and last break, there was a third iteration of the question that asked, okay, so now we're just talking about your crew. Only your crew is made up of your closest family members. Um, and then they showed the results. Uh, I think it was somewhere in the 65 percentile on the first question, didn't really believe that zero was possible. After the second question, it dropped down closer to 25-30. And on the last iteration of the question, it was 97 and change percent. The only thing that changed with those series of questions was your perspective. It it is what... uh, it really cemented with me a lot of what safety is based in is how you're perceiving it and, and, and how you're looking at it. Um, so yes, I do believe that pursuing zero incidents is the only way to go. I cannot in any, any circumstance ever say that somebody being injured is just the cost of doing business. I can't, uh, none of us can. And I guess the simplest way to say that is, if the number isn't zero, it's another number. Mm. 
And if that's the case, go ahead and give me a name. Whose family are we going to devastate just like that family that I was, uh, you know, exposed to so early in my career? Who are we going to do that to uh, and be that calloused? And once you put it again into that perspective, kind of start thinking about things just a little bit differently. No question. And you kind of let us in on your perspective of safety with that, those statements right there. And before we get to that, I want to mention this, you know, it, it seems like most health and safety programs foster, you know, an, an approach to finding and fixing uh, job site hazards, you know, before they can cause injury or harm. And that makes perfect sense. Sure. Right. It makes perfect sense. And it's just, unfortunately, those type approaches end up being reactive ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes that could be too late. Um, so how does, how does your approach differ from, from that? So to that point, um, let's use the analogy of a farmer walking through an orchard and looking for trees that are not putting off fruit. Uh, what you just described is what most companies do. They walk through and look at things uh, that are not going well, uh, things that are dangerous, and point at it and say, that's going to cause an incident, or that's why that incident got caused. Or um, it, there's, there's really, uh, it, to your point, it is very reactive. My question is, why? What what is happening to cause that tree to put off bad fruit? Um, to me, you need to get into the root, right? What is it that is not allowing that tree to be optimal in its production? Uh, I've always believed that um, being proactive is the only way to go. Uh, in my career, early in my career in the the in the mines, um, I was attending a safety meeting once, and my boss, the uh, the safety manager was using the old traditional safety pyramid as an example on trying to turn around a rash of incidents that had happened recently. And he circled the top. And for those unaware, this is up where the really bad stuff is, the, the, the catastrophes and the, the, the really bad accidents. And he said, we need to focus on this and use essentially scare tactics to get everybody to snap to and realize this is where things are going to go. And I couldn't help but feel that was way too late in the game, Uh, you know, that we were missing valuable opportunities earlier in the process to be more proactive. And so um, that is what created uh, the idea behind inversion. Uh, It's it's literally uh, the inverted version of the old traditional safety pyramid. Uh, Instead of reactive measures that head towards a catastrophe, it was proactive measures that headed towards zero. And the more you embraced that descending approach, the closer you got to zero. And, and so uh, actually created a, uh, an, uh, a way to actually be empirically proactive. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's what separates it from your more traditional safety uh, approach is we're not looking and pointing <coughs> only at trees that uh, aren't putting off fruit. Let's, let's find out why. So basically you're, you're saying you have to change the behavior. You have to change the culture. Yeah, um, and that's a that is one thing that a lot of companies fail to recognize is the pre-employment behavior development. Uh, companies hire based on a need; they hire a skill. I, I have a need for an operator, therefore I'm going to hire an operator. You've got a great resume; um, you're what I need. Job's yours. But 
they fail to recognize that this employee, as we're calling them, mm-hmm. was first, foremost, and always a person. And they are bringing their behavior with them, whether we like it or not. And, you know, here's another way to look at it. Companies legally and contractually accept employees the way they are when you hire them. Mm-hmm. That is scary if you think about it. So, uh, yeah, another part of that was what, what are you doing as an organization to either embrace the behavior because it fits your cultural expectations uh, as it is or not? Uh, what are you doing to help change it so it more closely relates to uh, what your expectations are? So that's what the other half of the, uh, my, my book was about was perspective-based safety was using uh, a formal approach to helping change behavior that is, is dangerous. What are some things you can do, you know, in the pre-employment process, you know, whether it be in the interview or the background, or what, what are some things that could be done that could potentially raise some red flags as far as past behaviors? Is there anything that, could, that you can do really to determine that? Or is it really kind of a roll of the dice for the most part? You get, you know, this person on board, operator, whoever, and you don't, you don't know what they've been doing for the last 40 years, sure. you know? Yeah, um, th- there are some things you can do, obviously, like Wonderlick type uh, tests or, or, you know, questions, um, questionnaires that focus more on the character of the person uh, rather than their ability in the skill set that you're looking for. That gives you a little bit of a, uh, a head start in that. Mm-hmm. But I'm more of a fan of using uh, the new hire orientation process and the onboarding as the opportunity mm-hmm. to change that. Uh, I kind of compare employees coming through the door to an arrow mid-flight. They've already been launched from other things. You didn't have anything to do with that. They, they came in the way they were on a, on a course that was already established long before they got there. Um, but what I suggest is, is just like a gust of wind can change the direction of an arrow mid-flight perspective used as a tool, something, the actual onset of the aha, the light bulb moment, um, using that to help change the way they see themselves in the role in the company uh, and their part of the safety culture at that moment gets everybody on board and thinking about things in a different way. Uh, You know, it's the old cliche that you never get a second chance to make a good first impression. Yeah, exactly. Uh, If you set that tone hard day one, what happens beyond that point is, is they actually toe the line much harder than, than if you just let them be who they were when they walked in. Uh-huh. I always use a uh, military analogy there that, uh, um, you know, the company that I'm working for, I use our logo as though it is a spell, special forces badge. Yep. You know, hey, uh, you may not have known it before you got here, but you just joined the most elite group that does what we do. Congratulations. Yep. When, when we show up on job sites, everybody's nudging themselves. Hey, those guys are, that's, that's it. You know, that, that's where I want to be. And you can just see it. Uh, people start sitting up straighter. The shoulders are more square. You see the heads nodding like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a part of something that, that, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad I came. And they're just words. It's just words. But those words are creating a behavior change in them that when they leave, they carry that with them when they go. Mm. And the more people you do that with, that's what creates culture shift. Yeah, in fact, you mentioned that, the badge of honor, like yep. the Busing badge of honor or exactly. whatever. And we had uh, uh, Mike Bontrager. Do you mm-hmm. know Mike from yeah. Alston? Sure. We had him on the show, I don't know, 
three, four shows ago talking about corporate culture. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned that to him and I'm not sure exactly what we were talking about at the time, but I mentioned, you know, you and going through a couple of your, your presentations and you mentioning, you know, that badge of honor analogy. And, um, he's like, yep, that's, I love that. You know, just, you know, be proud, be proud of, uh, of, you know, who you're working for, the culture that goes along with that badge of honor and, and everything else. Um, so, like, most of our listeners, I mean, a lot of surveyors, a lot of folks working on the field, you know, construction workers, things like that. Um, could be a company of five people, could be a company of 5,000 people. Does one size fit all when it comes to this this approach, or is it different for a small company versus a large company? No, uh, because you're you're dealing with people, right? And and it doesn't matter the size of the company. Um, you, you mentioned earlier... Um, that uh, the insurance agency I used to work for still uses this as their risk control approach. And it's true because it works. It doesn't matter the industry. It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter what corner of of the world you work in. When you've got people working for you, it's the same deal. You have those pre-established behaviors that are coming through your door. And if you're not doing something formal about ensuring that it is changed or embraced the way it is, um, then you're really just leaving it up to chance. So yeah, the, the approach works regardless of, of uh, you know, industry or, or size of company. And talk about this. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of companies like small survey companies. I mean, they don't have a safety policy. You know, they're just, they're just trying to pay the bills and get the guys out there and get it done as fast as you can and this and that. And I mean, it's horrible. It, it really is. What, what are they, like companies like that, and there's probably mid-sized companies that don't have, you know, proper safety programs and things of that nature. Yeah. How are they putting themselves at risk by, by not having something in place. Well, the funny thing is, is we're not even talking safety. We're talking safety being the byproduct of -hmm. investing in your company culture. Mm -hmm. And you don't even need a safety person to do that. You need leadership. You need the, um, the buy-in from management and ownership and, um, you know, the, the, the core group of the company to set the tone, mm-hmm. the trickle down effect is improved safety. Um, you know, uh, falling into the trap of thinking that a safety department, a safety professional is what makes the difference. That's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Having the right person there to help drive the change to, to help lead the way. Sure. Yeah. That, that can, that can be extremely valuable and uh, especially yeah, uh, unfortunately, when things go sideways, you need somebody that you know knows how to manage those situations and claims the best they can. But as far as you know, companies that simply don't have the budget or you know the the manpower to put that that uh, you know a pedigreed safety professional in those roles, um, that that's not not even what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I have used the analogy of um, are the the leaders in your organization, torchbearers of a culture that is reverent. And, and if, if you don't see your culture as something that is, is reverent, if we, we've already found our problem. You know, if, if there's nothing that you can really latch onto and say, I'm a part of something special and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it keeps that, that you know, uh, special distinction, you're, you're already looking at part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And everything I just said has nothing to do with safety. It can become safety related, Mm -hmm. but we're way upstream from safety. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you know, 
management or leadership buy-in, that's step one. It has to start up there. What happens, you know, as this begins to trickle down and all of a sudden, you know, there's an employee that doesn't fall in line. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some things that can be done to, you know, maybe, you know, plumb that person up, get them in line, you know, buy into, you know, what you're selling. What, what are some things that could be done there? You know, or do you have any examples, I guess? Yeah, I've got a perfect example. Um, in fact, I, I can tell you the story about why there's a compass on the front of my book. Um, yeah, a situation exactly like what you're talking about. I had uh, a supervisor stop by my office as a safety professional uh, and say that he was getting ready to have to fire one of his best workers. And when I asked him why, he said, because I can't get him invested in the idea of safety. And I asked if, before he ran him off, if I could have a few minutes with him. He said, I actually hoped you'd say that. So uh, he sent him up. And after visiting with this, and he was a kid, you know, 19, 20 year old, come to find out he had grown up on a ranch. Uh, his, his dad had instilled him in, you know, the idea that um, there's really no complication to ranch life. It's hard work. You leave it all out there. Um, and that's about it. And he started noticing that some of his friends were leaving their ranches and going and learning trades and going to school, joining the military. And he realized he should probably do something similar. Otherwise he's going to be stuck on the ranch his whole life. So he went and learned a trade, wound up with a fantastic opportunity working out at the mine. Only now he was in uh, a place where he said he felt like he was working around a lot of dumb safety rules that felt like he was in the middle of a minefield. (laughs) And so once I, uh, I actually got him talking about his family, had a brand new baby, um, brought out the pictures, showed them to me, he had me laughing out loud at one point about his, you know, the mess, uh, the most precious parts of his world. And when I turned it around on him and I asked him, which way is your compass pointing? And he gave me this funny look and said, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, um, what do we use a safety f- or a, a, a compass for? He said, uh, you know, to keep direction, get where you're going, keep point away. So I said, yeah, that's, that's the sum of it. Um, I said, those uh, safety rules that you're violating, the, the policies that you don't really care for, all these th- things that you're calling landmines, they're really not meant to be in your way as much as they are to help be waypoints on your way to where you're trying to get. Mm. And I nodded at the picture still in his hand. And I knew it was in my desk drawer. I had a, a compass in there, and I slid it across the desk at him, and I said, hey, I'm going to ask you one more time, which way is your compass pointing? And are you sure you're going to get there? And uh, he, that tear, I, I, yeah, I can't make it up. The tear got away from him. Um, he shook my hand. I told him to take the compass with him, and, and he left. I guess it was about two weeks later, his supervisor stopped back and wanted to know what I had said to him. I said, oh, oh so you held on to him. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I asked how he was doing. He said, well, he hasn't lost a step with his work ethic at all. Um, but he, now he's like some kind of reborn safety champion or something, mm-hmm. you know, calling out even the most senior guys if they're out of line. And he said, what was it that you said to him that got through? And I said, I, I just gave him a compass. And he said, it's funny you say that. And he reaches in his jacket pocket and pulls out the compass I had given him. He said he wanted me to give this back, said he bought his own. <laughs> and, you know, and I said, that a boy, you know. And so it may have come in the form of a compass, but all I gave him was some perspective. Sure. That's all it took. He needed somebody to say things his way yeah. and put it in terms that he understood. Um, and, and yeah, the last I heard, he had worked into a superintendent role and, wow. and was doing just fine. Um, and, and this is somebody that was being seen as 
countercultural or mm. or not bought in, and that that really wasn't the case. Yeah, he just needed a a good good dose of perspective. Sure. Yeah. 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 Now well, you've written this book. Yeah. How much of a beast was that to write? <laughs> I, I the, can say that I will never do that. Right. The, I will the, never write a book. The, they <laughs> never say never. Shoots. No, I will say never on that one. But like. Just to, to put pen to paper and, and do all that, you know, there's there's a commitment there. and um, well, Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, is the book came later. Um, I Once I got into these safety roles and started telling these stories using these analogies um, and, and this, this whole idea of inversion and perspective-based safety, I, people started asking, this is, this is fantastic. Where can I learn more about this? Mm. And I was forced to say, well... It's me. Uh, you know, I, there, there really is no other reference point. It's, it's just all in my head. Uh, so I, I started realizing there was um, uh, an interest in the ideas. And I knew that if I really wanted to reach larger audiences and really um, use this passion that I had and, and reach out further, I was going to have to create something. So, yeah, I, I sat down and, and wrote the book and... Um, it's, it's really just a collection of stories, uh, you know, and, and um, philosophical anecdotes and, and things that are, are really what my entire pro- approach is all about is just, uh, you know, this is what OSHA is trying to say. This is what IMSHA is trying to say. This is what your safety manager that you think is a safety cop is trying to say. But here's why. This is what they mean. And it, it again, gets that light bulb off. So, yeah, that, that's actually where the book came from. So, realistically, it just kind of fell out of you. And- yeah. Yep. Wrote it yep. effortlessly. Pr- pretty much. Shoots, wow. I think you can write a book. Eh. I'm going to write one about Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Biography. I, I'd read it. <laughs> it would be interesting. There's no doubt about Jake, it. Jake, Elon Musk, and <laughs> Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, that, a, that's a dinner date right there. <laughs> it's a new Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Three surveyors and some other guy. Yeah, exactly. So... Talk, talk a little about the importance of um, like safety leadership from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that happens as well, right? Sure. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to make sure that you're listening to what what we would call the little guy, right? Um, nobody's saying that the best ideas are coming from the top. Um, some of these these people have fantastic concepts and ideas. And if you're not providing the opportunity for them to bring them to the table, uh, you're doing a huge disservice, not, not only to them, but to the company. Um, so yeah, there, there's nothing anywhere saying that uh, the best ideas are coming from, uh, you know, people with uh, fancy letters after their name or, or pieces of paper framed on the wall. Um, uh, some of the, the best ideas that I've come across that, that really stopped me in my tracks, uh, that really made me pause came, came from, you know, just your, your ground level employee. And, uh, uh, you, you do have to find a, a way, a formal way to recognize that and give them a voice. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you're out and about on a lot of these like large construction projects sure. that debusing works on. And they're just, they're chaotic at times. I mean, there is so much risk and harm that could be done on these. When you walk out on one of these sites and you're like, what do you look at when you're looking around? I mean, what are some of the things that jump out at you? What are some of the things that you look for as uh, potential, you know, trigger points or things like that? Yeah. It, you know, going back to earlier where you hire a, a skill, mm-hmm. um, there is a point where you have to trust that the the person that is in that piece of equipment, the person that is overseeing that job, that, that they're doing what, what you're paying them to do. Um, I'm not going to show up on a job site and, um, 
claim to be the end-all know-all of any of that because I'm not. Mm -hmm. They are the subject matter expert at what they do. That's why they've been there for five, ten years doing that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, They are the best there is, and I believe that. What I look for is opportunities for improvement, Uh, things that I can see where, you know what, I can see where that's working, but what if we did this? I'm just a dumb safety guy, but give me your thoughts. What do you think? Sometimes it's, yeah, well, if we did that, it would cause this ripple effect. And they're right. Okay, this is why you're doing it and I'm not. Mm -hmm. Every now and again, there's the pause where it's like, you know what? Actually, I think that might work and I can see where that's safer. Let's let's do that. So that's what I look for is, uh, uh, you know, the the big stuff is always going to be there. You're going to see that, uh, you know, the low-hanging fruit safety stuff. But um, I, instead of trying to be, um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> again, what your, your typical safety professional is, is I just look for opportunities for improvement and I come in underhandedly. Hey, what do you think about this? And then we have a, uh, an educated conversation about it. And then whatever the outcome is, I feel is, you know, the, the best way to go. How much uh, ongoing training um, does it take to kind of keep this fresh in people's minds? It's like, do you have like a once a month thing, once a quarter? Uh, what's your approach to that? Yeah. So, there's, there's different ways to do that. Um, uh, you mentioned the continual improvement team that, that I sit on. Um, safety is just a piece of that. Uh, there, there are um, uh, figures from every corner of the company that sit in on that, and we just have this roundtable and idea share, brainstorm about ways to improve the company as a whole. Uh, things that come out of that are, sure, training, uh, leadership development, um, ways to create opportunity, um, we did a safety survey and one of the common themes that came out, and, and this was opened up to the, uh, every employee, the entire company. Um, one of the things that came out was they wanted more safety training. And it was, that was refreshing. You, you know, it, it, you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing a good job by, you know, training them when they come through the door. And if you're going to have cons- confined space or you're going to be working on a job that requires fall protection, mm-hmm. I'm giving you those things. Mm-hmm but they wanted more. And that was cool, right? Like, yeah, we want more, um, you know, stuff that makes me more well-rounded from a safety point of view. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you give it to them. Uh, I mentioned leadership development training. Mm. If you're not investing in your leaders and, and helping them maximize their potential, again, that's a disservice to everybody. Yep. So yeah. when, like, on the job site, when you come out there, are you looked at as the big bad wolf? So, um, <laughs> no, uh, not me. Okay. Uh, it, it, when I first came in, I was very humble. Um, I, I have um, helped, uh, you know, smooth concrete. I have, uh, you know, wet down dirt with a hose. I have picked up, um, you know, blocked concrete and, and throw it away. I, I, I made myself recognized as one of them that, you know, yeah, I have this role, but I'm just one of you. Uh, and I think that helped endear me to them. So when I show up, it's less of that and more of, you know, um, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, or, you know, I can just make fun of you because your football team lost. You know, I, I, I have found that to be a much more rewarding approach than being the safety guy. That's always there to beat you up. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are. And I'll, I'll, you know, we're on record here. I'll say that some of my least favorite people are safety professionals. <laughs> I, 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 as a rule, I really don't like us. Um, but I, I guess 
I consider myself a philosopher first yeah. uh, that just has a passion for people and uh, that just seems to kind of funnel me into a safety role. But yes, historically, that is what we get seen as. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got a very empathetic approach to that. I understand. Uh, so I do everything I can to make sure that that's not how I'm seen. Okay. Well, so basically you are one of one of the guys. I am. Yeah. Yep. You're not you're not holier than thou. You're not above. No. You're just you're I, on board with everybody. I may have the role and the uh um position to drive change and to be an influencer in the company, which again is it that's a a, a powerful thing. Um but if you're using it to um you know, punish and, and, you know, uh, oppress the workforce that, that doesn't do anything for you. If you're using it the other way though, to help create policy change and, and, and actually make things easier for them and safer for them. And they see you as an advocate, uh, that's, that's what you need. And so that's what I have become a student of is how to do that better. And, uh, you know, that's some of those opportunities that you were talking about, Kent, of how, um, how can you give the little guy a voice? Mm. And, and so by humbling myself and being one of them, yeah. I, I have found one of the, the best ways to do that. A lot of companies, most I would say, have like these <clears throat> like daily tools that they use. You know, it could be a, you know, a toolbox talk. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, a JSA or HSA form or whatever. And that's great, you know, and maybe it's for CYA in a lot of cases. Sure. But, and I mean, I've seen it guys just kind of go through it like it's like chick, 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 done. You know, it's like there's no thought going into it whatsoever for the most part. You know, it's like checking a box, let's get our job done. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on stuff like that? I mean, I know I know for a lot of, you know, a lot of um, projects are required, you know, so you, sure. ha you have to do them, but how effective are they? Well, this is where the difference between safety and compliance comes in, mm. right? And, and they're two different things. Yes, they, they play in the same arena, um, but there are things you have to be compliant with for, uh, you know, insurance reasons or, you know, um, you know, OSHA or, or uh, regulatory agencies. But that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with safety. I've seen some compliant companies have terrible safety records. Yeah. I've also seen companies that are nowhere near compliant have fantastic safety records. So uh, to me, what you need to do, if you're going to spend the time to be compliant, Make your concepts sticky. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think making sure that if you're going to talk with somebody, make sure when they leave, they're taking what you said with them. If you're just checking a block, that's going in one ear and out the other. Uh, that won't stick. Um, but stories, like I've been telling, you know, yep. all, uh, all uh, evening here, it's, that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. It, that's what will come back up when you need it to. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to have a, a, a tailgate, if you're going to have a you know, a, a safety stand down, if you're going to have a safety share by making it sticky and relevant. Now we're back to perspective again. You, you just changed the way I thought about things. Um, it's not that it's new information. It's how you said it, uh, which, which brings up an entirely different concept is uh, effective communication. Um, I am a big believer in what I call inverted communication. Um, and in a in a sentence, what's said isn't half as important as what's heard. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if I, I've got another story. It's in, it's in the book. 
but I, I sent my son when, when he was much younger after a, a Phillips screwdriver, right? And he was being a, a gopher for me as I'm doing this project. Five minutes turns into 10 minutes, way too long to be waiting for a screwdriver. So I hit that frustrated dad mode, you know, and, and I get up and go looking for him. and I can't find him, which just aggravates me more. So I go to the garage and well, there he is. He's got all my tools dumped out all over the floor, you know, picking them up. And I, I, I said, son, what are you doing, man? You, you left me hanging. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. And he looks up at me and he says, dad, none of these screwdrivers say Phillips on them. <laughs> and it happened just like that. You know, whose fault was that? Yep. Yeah. That was all on me. I made an assumption that he knew what I was talking about. And now as cute and whimsical as that story is, and it happened just like that. Um, you compare that to an industrial setting. Now you can mm -hmm. see where catastrophe can set in. Sure. Um, so again, did, did he deviate from my instructions, my son? N not at all, not in the slightest. He went to go do exactly what I asked him to do. Did I tell him what I wanted him to do? I did. Yeah. Yet we wound up at two different places. So again, what's said isn't half as important as what's heard. So being less concerned about what you're saying and what they're hearing is the more important thing. Man, oh man, this guy sounds like my wife. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, great. <laughs> well, uh, okay, so with your current role with Busing, yeah, uh, what what's your track record? Are you guys solid, hundred percent safe, or again, it it, it always comes incidents. Yeah, it all it always comes down to continual improvement. You know. Um, uh, always pursuing zero. If you take a look at a, a dartboard, you, you, you've thrown darts before. Of course. Have you ever missed the wall or, or missed the, the target completely and hit the wall? Yes. Okay. So it, it's never what you intended. It just, you know, it's a bad day. If you compare that dartboard to a business model, a lot of companies operate, and we're back to compliance again, by trying to just stay on the dartboard, remain compliant. You hit the dartboard somewhere. Um, our approach is is that the bullseye is the only acceptable approach that is our target period uh, we we simply do not tolerate uh any deviation from a bullseye uh effort every single time um does that guarantee that we are going to hit the bullseye every time no but on our bad days we still wind up on the board that's what separates us from our competitors is, uh, and our slogan is simply the best. That's, that's how we achieve that is um, our expectation is, is uh, we are explicitly focused on the bullseye every single time. And then when things kind of go sideways on us, yeah, you know, um, it, it's not our expectation and it, it, we, we didn't hit our goal, but we still wound up in compliance. You know, we still wound mm -hmm. up on the board. So, so that's, that's kind of our, our philosophy or approach to that. So even bad days are are still okay Acceptable. days. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah it's just change. And again, we're back to perspective. It is just the, the way you see it, the way you look at it um, and changing the way people see and feel about themselves within their organization. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, not, not just you and your role, but other folks like yourself that are safety leaders mm -hmm. in their, in their respective companies, you know, they're, maybe thinking a lot of times that we've had zero incidents, therefore our safety program is effective. Yeah. It's great. So that could also lead to some sort of complacency, I would think. Absolutely. How do you, how do you, how do you combat that? I guess. 
Um, we teach safety as a value. Um, that, again, I, the, the little reference you made as we opened up about uh, you know, safety not being a thing in a vacuum. Um, I compare safety as a value to air, right? Air is not something you must also do. You know, if you have uh, this task that you're doing, it's not as though you're doing the task and you suddenly remember, oh, the air, <laughs> you know. And, and in fact, if you try to separate those two things out as, as different silos, that's not going to work out very well for you. That's not very good for your health. Um, but like air, if safety is simply with you all the time, um, it's, uh, you know, again, safety and production. Again, those aren't silos. Those aren't two different things. It's not as though you're doing your task and then you, oh, I, I forgot the safety. Um, again, that doesn't work. However, if you combine them uh, into a concept like safe production, that is what works. So by teaching that to our employees um, and, and realizing that safety is a, a value, it's a part of me, it's a way of life, I, I can't change that, that is what makes a difference. Who are some people, we talk about mentorship, sure. like pretty much every show that we, that we have, right? Because we, we're firm believers in the importance of it. 112 episodes. Yeah, deep. exactly. It's not, the word mentor has been brought up every episode, I'm sure. Who are some, you know, maybe some people that have been influential in your life uh, that you would consider, you know, mentors or somebody, some folks that kind of put you on the right path? Sure. Um, uh, right away, I'm a, my dad, uh, yep. you know, he uh, was uh, uh, a lineman, uh, you know, around you know, high volt electricity most of his life, um, a lot of dangerous stuff, but he was always one that was big on, on, on safety and uh, making sure that his, his crew was. And uh, I think I recognized that early on, you know, that he, he had a, an unyielding devotion to his team and making sure that they were safe. Uh, so I, I think even before I knew what it was, I was seeing that as a value in him. Um, my grandfathers, both of them, taught me the value of storytelling. Um, you know, fantastic storytellers in their own right. Uh, I'm not even sure they knew what they were doing, but they were early on instilling in me this, this idea that perspective is, is a powerful tool. Um, you know, both of them uh, gave me fantastic lessons, and, and they're, they're, they're in my book as well. Um, but then uh, in the military, uh, he was a, our company first sergeant at the time. He went on and retired as a sergeant major, but uh, Tim Bingham... I was his Humvee driver for a number of years, and um, he is probably the first one I remember actually using perspective as a teaching tool, uh, and I never forgot that. Uh, I was just a private. He didn't have to waste his time teaching me anything uh, you know, of great value. I was simply a, a driver. But he, I, I recognized on several you know, opportunities that he used a lesson and spun it in a different way. He, he took me off the, the chessboard and helped me see things from the chess master's point of view. Uh, I was just a pawn and I knew it, but he brought me up and showed me the value of being a pawn and what kind of impact that had on the rest of the game. I never forgot that. And, you know, even when I became a sergeant myself, I employed those same, you know, tactics with my troops. So yeah, those, those are probably my biggest mentors, uh, uh, you know, moving towards where I got into safety, my my first uh, real safety manager, a guy named Rob Milburn, gave me my start in safety, and uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was a pretty big deal. You know, um, I, when I landed the role as a, an actual safety professional in the mine, 
and he sat me down my first day and he said, you know who your competition was? And I said, no. He said, a guy with 25 years in safety, mm. um, degree in every certification in the book, uh, instantly humbled. And I said, you know, well, <laughs> well, why me? Yeah. And he said, well, for one, I got you for a bargain. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I can see that. Fair enough. Yep. Um, but then he said, uh, he, I can get you to where he is, and I can teach you all the things he knows with time. Yeah. But he doesn't have a thimbleful of the passion you have. Mm. And um, he really early on, again, kind of helped me understand that this this thing I was carrying wasn't taught. I, I, I had, you know... Uh, kind of earned that along the way, and I realized that it was valuable. And so, yeah, under his mentorship, I, I honed it into the, you know the path that I'm still on today. Hmm. Yeah, so th- those are probably my biggest mentors. Those are some great examples yeah. for sure, for sure. What? Um, just kind of a random question here, I guess. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? I guess that it's okay to have a different idea. That it's okay to stray from the pack sometimes. Um, that just because everybody else is doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be that way, that there, there might actually be an, another uh, alternative way that might be better. And I've left some big companies some, with, with some fantastic upside to go to places where I was given the department as clay for that reason. Um, I, I, you know, in those bigger roles, I was having to follow a, a more, um, you know, pre-molded, concept that to me was just a little too close to compliance, you know, kind of, kind of going that same old direction. And I just didn't feel like that was giving me uh, what I needed to be more effective. So they got those, those other roles, uh, even though they, they didn't pay as much and and they, they weren't as glamorous. um, I I think I had a bigger impact on the, the people's lives, you know, and, and, uh, um, those uh, employees that I was around by making those decisions. So yeah, I, I guess th- that would be it. Is it, it's okay to be weird? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned compliance a number of times. Yeah, and the kind of negative connotation. No, yeah. right? You know, it's like compliance is good, but is it good enough? Yeah, right. Yeah, it, again, it, I I understand the importance of compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that it it's so regularly gets looped in as being the same thing as safety and it's not yep um they they can walk hand in hand but um like i mentioned earlier a lot of companies 100 percent compliant not not doing so hot sure so compliance is the bare minimum it is and and you can't put it any other way good way to paint it it is that that is the bare minimum exactly right and you strive for more than that you have to yeah you know if if you really want to be a, a trendsetter, if you really are actually after the pursuit of zero, you have to be better than compliance. Because, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, settling for the bare minimum, uh, that's... Uh, that's um, you can scrape by. <laughs> Shoot, for I a think, while, yeah. I think your safety share was compliant tonight. I was compliant. <laughs> but it was a perfect, it was a perfect tee-up. I mean, it was. Absolutely, no uh, question. No one, question. One for the ages, boys. You betcha. <laughs> So, have you listened to episodes 
that we've done. You can, you can say no. It's okay. I, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, you I, haven't. I, no, I haven't. Come on. No, I. I but I will from this point forward. Uh, my shoulders are not rubbed. <laughs> it's okay. He's not primed up for your question. So you've never heard this question before. But do you have a mantra that you live by? Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a few, I guess. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of Michael Conley's uh, uh, Harry Bosch series. And one of the mantras that he has in there is everybody counts or nobody counts. Mm. And that's powerful. And I think that is um, spot on for being in a safety role. Uh, if you're, mm-hmm. you're not including everybody, then what's the point? Um, there's another saying that's attributed to me. It's not my saying. It's something I learned in the military. Uh, but uh, if you ever get to the point where it's hopeless and nothing more can be done, you've overlooked something. Mm. And I believe that. And I think I'm going to add one more because it's back there on your box, and I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Live a great story. Yeah. That, that is awesome. <laughs> I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, you know, what kind of story are you writing uh, every day of your life? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so I, I guess th- those would be my mantras. Love I was going to say, oh, she can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't be good. Uh, they, they have Minor their plans, details. That's awesome. Um, so, Brian, I mean, honestly, we've covered pretty much everything I was hoping we'd get to tonight. Uh, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you might want to get out there? No, I don't think so. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, like I said, this this is definitely my passion. It, I never laid around starry-eyed as a kid dreaming of the day I'd become a, a safety professional. You sure. know? Um, but now that I'm here, I can't imagine doing anything else. Uh, it, it is definitely where my heart is. Um, you know, it, everything I do... Uh, from from the book to my my degree in, in safety, I, everything I do is based in passion, and that guarantees that I know I'm I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, it's not a uh, it's not about success or you know position, power, any of those things. Uh, it's all based in passion, and and so being here, uh, you know, sitting with you guys and talking about it, 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 it's just another fantastic opportunity to help people realize there's. Um, different ways to look at things and uh, using perspective as a, as a tool. Ah, yeah, it, it actually uh, is something that you might give a shot. Yeah, and I, I got to mention that I've been fortunate to, to sit in on a couple of your, your safety presentations and, um, you know, the, the per- perspective-based safety uh, culture. And you mentioned, like, aha moments. Mm-hmm. And both times I sat in on your presentations, I had aha moments the first time and different ones the second time. Mm. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to, you know, have you here this evening and, and share this perspective with us because it is very eye opening. Um, you know, I hope people will check out the book. Of course, it's Inversion and the Perspective Based Safety Culture by Mr. Brian O. Owens. Uh, how can they get the book? Is it, I mean, oh, Amazon, obviously. Yeah, there, do you have a website or anything like that? Or it, It's on Amazon. Uh, you can get it digitally in a lot of the other formats from okay. Smashwords and iTunes and uh, there, there's a few more out there, but in, in paperback, it's uh, it's on Amazon. Cool. What's, what's the O in the middle name? So, <laughs> Brian O. Quick, Owens. So I was almost John O'Neill Owens the fourth. Oh. And my mom said, No. So no. you can keep the O'Neill, but uh, no more Johns. So I I am now the fourth generation of the middle name, and my son is the fifth. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, it is O'Neill. Okay. Yeah. Now, now it makes sense. There you go. <laughs> Good question. I'm going to look up Brian O'Neill Owens. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see the criminal record. 
All right, guys. Anything else? Uh, PJ, you've been quiet tonight. Anything going on over no, there? No, I think Any it's questions? great. I think it's great. Going to check out the book. Right on. Perfect. Shoots. I, I'm just admiring Jake's sweatshirt. Barstool sports book. Oh, yeah. He's like a it. sharp-dressed guy, that guy. Yeah. yeah. What can I say? He's All right. handsome. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being here. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, gentlemen. It was fantastic. Uh, that'll do it. Yet I, uh, another... Awesome value adding friend making show, if I do say so myself. Done and to start done. out the new year. Please be sure to check us out at thegeaholics.com. Follow us on all our social media outlets by searching for the Geaholics. Download the Geaholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com. Uh, send us an email at info at the if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. I think we're booking into March right now. So we'd love to hear from you either way. Just give us, uh, shoot us a line. Last but not least, please support all of our amazing friends of the program every chance you get. Just like AGS. Geodetic Services. Those guys. Pay it forward. Add value. Make friends. Pantera. Cowboys from Hell. Available everywhere. Jake's going to crank it. I can feel it. Till next time, everyone. Happy New Year. Most importantly, be safe and healthy. Once again, a shout out to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, GetJobBook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com, Nettleman Land Consulting, nlcprep.com, Parkland Community College, parkland.edu slash surveying, Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us, Tiger Supplies, tigersupplies.com, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.